Hello, good morning. Um, we're here with our new podcast on inducement measures in the EU and the Asia Pacific. I am Josina Kameling. I'm heading regulatory outreach in the EMEA region for CFA Institute. And today I have with me Mary Lang, who's head of advocacy in the Asia Pacific region for CFA Institute. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Josina. How are you? Ah, I'm very well. And I think this topic has been occupying us both in the EU and the APAC regions. Inducements, of course, has been at the forefront of the debate on investor protection. Um, we've done several studies on trust uh, and retail investors with uh, the Edamon survey. One of the more recent ones back from 2018 um, did a very interesting analysis of the gap between what investors are getting and what they are expecting. When we look at that, this gap, we see that when investors, retail investors expect um, full disclosure on fees and costs, there is a gap of 36% between what they're asking for and what they're getting. It is top of their list. Um, also top of their list is about a disclosure and management of conflicts of interest. Again, very large gap of 37%. And lastly, um, there is also a very big gap when they ask for that the fees reflect the value from the relationship. Again, over 30%. And that really is an, an indication of where we are with retail investment. We've done a, a product governance survey which has just come out last week um, globally where we look at what, what respondents uh, and the respondents are CFA members think is important when you look at product governance. 51 of, the, of our members think that more care is given now to product design. Uh, again, this is important because MIFID II had uh, a big impact on investor protection in the EU. But is this really going through all the way into um, what investors are getting? Well, the administrative process is still very complex. Um, also, um, I'm, our respondents think that investors still don't get enough information and that they're struggling to understand the information because of its complexity. So that is, of course, a key issue with fees. Do you really understand as a retail investor what uh, you're getting, what you're paying for? ESMA, uh, one of the EU supervisory authorities on securities markets, came out on the 1st of April with an advice to the European Commission on inducements and costs and charges under MIFID II. Now, this is important because the discussion on a ban of inducements has been going around the EU and other markets for quite a long time. And I know Mary will dig in and, and look at the APAC markets because uh, things have been moving very strongly in, in there as well. Here, ESMA surprised us. ESMA did not recommend a full ban on inducements in spite of some member states like the Netherlands um, pushing quite hard for this because they have had a ban since 2014. But ESMA just asked the Commission to further assess the impact uh, and to look at the distribution of retail investment products. They do ask for some changes. They think that there needs to be much more ex ante and exposed uh, clarification on what is being disclosed. And there needs to be a, a, a more, a closer alignment um, of what it is the client is looking for and what he's getting. And furthermore, they also want a more simple explanation of the terms 
um, by what is meant in, in, in the report, in the suitability report. And as a, as a quick memory, in the UK, um, there was a ban on inducements already as of January 1, 2013. Did, did that achieve what it wanted? Well, CFA Institute did a survey on inducements in 2014. And one of the key issues that our respondents, which are members, saw was that if there was a ban, it might affect the lower income retail investor because they would go into platforms, they might get advice or not. They might not understand really what the product is. And so did, does that help a transparent market? In the Netherlands, as I said, the ban came in 2014 for all retail investment products. And the Netherlands has been a strong advocate for inducement ban. BaFin, the regulatory supervisor in Germany, looked at what had been happening to the retail investor um, with regards to MIFID II and the suitability report. The suitability report as a, as a memory jogger is a matching of the product to the client and making sure that the client in a document understands what he's being sold and what for. However, Baffin did find that very few suitability reports really explained the product match to the client and very little um, information on, on the product in general. They felt it was a ticking the box exercise. Now that, of course, is important when we look at the whole um, uh, issue of inducements. Now, turning to Mary, because movement on bans of inducements or not has been um, quite strong in the APAC markets. Um, and really, it, it, it will be interesting to get your feedback on what is happening in your markets. Now, when you, you did a report recently, which came out earlier this year on sales inducements in Asia Pacific, which markets banned inducements, uh, Mary? Hello, Josina. Thank you for the question. So in the uh, study uh, entitled Sales Inducements in Asia Pacific, um, we really did a deep dive in um, four of the key markets in Asia Pacific, including Australia, uh, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore and India. Now, of the four markets that we looked at, only Australia uh, went so far as banning commissions completely. Australia uh, and, and they uh, enacted a package of reforms uh, called the Future of Financial Advice back in 2012. Um, in addition to banning um, uh, 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 inducements or what, in, what they call in Australia conflicted remuneration, they also established a best interest duty uh, and they also um, uh, provided for um, an opt out for a um, uh, for uh, 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 mandating fee disclosures. Now, um, we can talk a little bit about how that experience has been in Australia. In addition to Australia, uh, India also has had an interesting time. Um, the uh, Securities and Exchange Board of India, SEBI, uh, launched a set of reforms, um, you know, going back a decade or so, trying to um, put, um, to attract more um, uh, uh, financialization of the, financial, uh, the, of the industry and making mutual funds more attractive for India investors. Um, as part of that, they've been really focused on cost. And some of the, um, uh, some of the uh, uh, measures that they have um, 
undertaken include banning of funneled uh, mutual funds. Uh, they've also um, banned upfront commissions in 2018 and lower caps on total expense ratios for some funds. So even though they haven't outright banned uh, commissions and still allow trailing fees, um, they are also very keen on um, uh, making sure that distributors, advisors, interests are aligned with investors. But if you look at Hong Kong and Singapore, the experience is quite different. Um, so those two markets actually revealed whether they wanted to ban commissions, uh, both uh, undertook the exercise after the uh, global financial crisis. Both markets uh, suffered huge losses uh, because of the uh, Lehman rather mini bond issue. Um, and so they did, a, they did some very thorough consultation and decided that but they decided that uh, the market and the clients were not ready for a ban on commissions. So instead of banning commissions outright, what, they, what both markets have decided to do was to uh, strengthen um, regulations and guidances on the selling process, on suitability, uh, including kind profiling, knowing your products. And they also strengthened transparency and disclosure of conflicts and benefits, such as the ones that, such as some of the measures that you were talking about in the EU. Very, it's very interesting the sort of difference between Hong Kong and Singapore and Australia. Um, do you see, because you've worked very closely um, with these markets, do you see um, that, for example, in Australia, the inducement ban reduced conflicts of interest and unethical behavior in the distribution channel? Well, I think um, on, on paper, you would have thought that the, the uh, future, finance, uh, finance, future financial advice uh, uh, reforms look great, and, and they certainly have the best of intentions. Um, but what actually happened was that because of um, the way the in industry had developed over the years, the financial advice industry in, in Australia actually came out of um, uh, a sales-oriented, commission-driven culture of live insurance sales. Um, and you know, some of these old habits um, couldn't be um, corrected overnight. Um, and what happened was there was uh, a, a little bit of clawback of the, uh, the, the original legislation as well. So a lot of the conflicted remuneration arrangements um, were grandfathered. Um, and a lot of people just really try to find other ways of uh, charging a client. Um, as we all know, uh, uh, payments and fees and charges are all like a balloon. If you squeeze one end of the balloon, the air is not you know, going to go anywhere. It's going to pop up somewhere else. Um, back in 2018, um, uh, there was a big inquiry in Australia, um, we call it the Hain Royal Commission, um, after the uh, uh, independent judge that was presiding the commission, um, uh, the, uh, a QC whose name is Kenneth Hain. And um, the Royal Commission into Misconduct in the Banking, Superannuation and Financial Services Industry um, uncovered a number of cases where actually um, clients or investors' interest uh, was not prioritized uh, over the distributors or advisors, which was the intention of the FOFA legislation. Um, so what they found was numerous cases where um, uh, people were charged fees for services not provided, um, or they were really they were given really poor advice when um, 
uh, when that applies, left them worse off. Um, there were also questions about um, what products are shown to some of these clients. Uh, a lot of um, uh, a lot of people were shown products that were manufactured by other related uh, arms of um, the financial advisor, because the financial advisor actually belongs to a financial conglomerate, maybe a big bank, um, and they didn't realize that. Um, and so a lot of questions were, were raised about, uh, you know, what, what, what's gone wrong, you know, why haven't, um, you know, the, the ban on commissions actually um, uh, uh, lead to the desired effects uh, and the alignment in client outcomes and uh, advisor uh, all the time. Um, so obviously some of the time, you know, uh, a lot of the times it worked very well, but many times uh, the clients let down. That's interesting what you what you mentioned about the Hain Commission because I think that that is to the point that that CFA Institute raised in its survey from 2014. Some of these unintended consequences are that there is less product available for the sort of lower income sort of investors and and less explanations and 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 consequently they are more on their own. Would you say there are other unintended consequences when uh, you see such bans in place? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, I think that while you know uh, a ban on commissions could work well uh, if it was um, uh, adequately enforced and monitored, um, it doesn't mean that other um, ways of um, that, that it has to be the only tool. Um, the, the the one thing that you know during the course of of our study that uh, we had um, focus on was you know, the, the area of business conduct, which I know, Josina, you have focused on as well. And, you know, the whole um, associated areas of conduct, culture and accountability. Um, if an advisor may not conscientiously think that they are being unethical, but if their KPIs are designed in a way for them to push sales, uh, for them to, uh, you know, have a, a, a number in mind uh, each day, each week, each month, it's very hard that not it's very tempting for them to direct their behavior, behavior that way. So, um, and, and if their managers also have, the, have similar targets, or if the senior management also have, the sim have similar targets, then you have to wonder uh, whether the whole purpose of the organization is to make the shortest, make the most um, revenue in the shortest possible time. Now, I know that these are all for profit commercial organizations. I'm not saying that making a profit is a bad thing, just saying that there needs to be, um, there needs to be a balance between um, how you market certain products uh, and what duty um, you, owe, you owe to your clients and investors and whether you've discharged that duty uh, comprehensively and satisfactorily. Um, this is something so, yeah, sorry, May. I was just as you were speaking, I was thinking that, you know, this really goes to the core of what CFA Institute and and what it means to be a charter holder is all about, isn't it? It's putting your client's interest before your own. 
um, which is hard when uh, you're sales driven. So it poses a lot of a lot of questions. But it seems to me, um, as you were highlighting what's been happening in APAC, and also when looking at what's been happening in the EU, surely we're, we need to look at a triangle, which is the triangle of um, looking at the um, uh, fiduciary duty, your investor, the, the interest of your client, and that relates to the business conduct looking at the structure of the product governance uh, chain through to the distribution and making sure it's transparent. And lastly, also, but not least, investor education. Even though we don't expect the investor to understand everything, he must understand enough to choose the right advisor and, and uh, to understand what, what, he's, what he's doing. I think it's, it is a mirage to expect them to understand the complexity of all the products, and we shouldn't expect them to. Would you agree with this analysis? Uh, absolutely. I think um, uh, on the last point on investor education, this is certainly one of our uh, one of our recommendations. There's there's a time to regulate and there's a time to educate. Um, and obviously, when things go wrong, a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, emphasis is placed on um, beating up the industry. And certainly, some <laughs> parts of the industry may uh, they need beating up. But um, as consumers of financial products. Um, I think um, investors should also um, do their own research. Um, they don't need, obviously, they, it's very difficult for them to be um, well versed in everything uh, financial or uh, be completely be familiar with the jargon. But um, ultimately, uh, they, they are responsible for their own investment decisions. Um, and knowing enough to ask the right questions at the right time. Uh, and obviously knowing what your rights are will go a long way towards protecting yourself uh, in, in, in situations like this. And sometimes these decisions are made under very stressful times as well. Yes, and of course we are living in a very stressful time at the moment with COVID-19, <laughs> um, <clears throat> which is a very, very difficult time for investors. Do they pull out? Do they stay? Um, we've seen uh, investors in Spain who had been pushed a little bit into fund investing um, away from clear, just pure deposit um, uh, accounts, uh, panicking because they don't have immediate liquidity. So again, mm -hmm. as you say, understanding um, the right product for what your profile is, but also choosing the right advisor. Um, I think mm -hmm. choosing the right advisor and having that advisor looking at not just selling a product which is um you know we're not a supermarket we should be closer to a sort of medical relationship doctor patient where the doctor really does look at his patient in front of him and tries to analyze all aspects of that patient so do we need to take that into account and indeed um in in a recent joint um, collaboration with Better Finance, the financial users organization, we discussed about the Hippocratic Oath. And uh, this is something that, of course, um, would repurpose and refocus uh, finance being for the good of society, which is mm. what in our mission statement. Absolutely. And I think um, the long-term success of the client, if you have built a long-lasting, trusting relationship with the client, at the end of the day, it would be good for your business. Um, so, you know, you need to have a slightly longer perspective um, because, you know, you know, we have to believe, and I, I do sincerely believe that if, when your client does well, you do well, right? The financial advisor does well. 
I do agree. Mary, thank you very much for this chat. Um, wonderful to engage with you and to share and compare what's been happening in APAC and in the EU. Until the next time, thank you.